This is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations that will help you to examine your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Good morning, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. Good morning, everybody. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike. Hey, good morning, Marna, and good morning, Kelly. While watching the funeral of Prince Philip last weekend, April 17th, with the royal family all in black, it got me to thinking about what are some of the important points of funeral etiquette in our culture today? And I'll extend that to courtesies to the bereaved as well. So today is going to be a short refresher course on funeral etiquette. Let's start with an easy question, a softball question, as Kelly would say. And I'm going to go to Kelly. Yay, Kelly. I like those softballs. <laughs> what is proper attire for a funeral? We've always been told that you wear black. Is that still true? I think so. I think you want to wear dark clothes. I don't know that it has to be black, but... I think that's the appropriate attire. And in most cases, I think you want to be, you know, I don't want to use the word formal, but, you know, sort of church clothes. Again, I think that's respectful. Unless, you know, nowadays, unless you're instructed to do otherwise, which which can happen, uh, because that might be a reflection of the person's life. So I would say dark clothes. I'll give one example. I had a dear friend years ago who died suddenly. She was 50. Um, And she died at home. She had a massive stroke. It was just a terrible shock and so sad. And we lived in New Jersey at the time. And uh, my husband and I traveled down to Virginia for the funeral. And I'll never forget her son had married early. So he was young in his early 20s. And his wife wore a red coat to the funeral and to the burial. Red? Bright red. (laughs) And I, I think I noticed it. But my mother, who also knew Nina and, and was close to her, attended the funeral with Mark and I, and we drove to the burial, and my mother like leaned over to me and was like, a red coat? Are you kidding me? I, I mean, my mom could not get over it. It's like um, the mother of the bride wearing fire engine red, or the mother of the groom wearing fire engine red to yeah, the wedding. Yeah. I think my mom just viewed it as really disrespectful and sort of a statement. Do you think it was done deliberately, Kelly? Actually, at the time, I was unsure. Uh-huh. Now, I think it wasn't. I don't yeah. think the yeah. young woman knew better because, in fact, their first daughter, they named Nina. And, you know, they talked about her constantly after her death with their children. So I just don't think she knew any better. And she yeah. would have been young, too, like early She 20s was young, well. yeah, yeah, early 20s. I was out with a friend last night, and we were talking about this, and he said... Well, it used to be you have one dark suit, and that's your funeral and wedding suit. Is that true these days still? I guess that's my question. Um, <laughs> I just, I'd just i like to say for the record, Marna, that Kelly gets more softball questions than I do. Um, but <laughs> I moving, don't think that's true. And it should right be along. that way. It should be that way, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> moving right You've along. You've got a lot more you know, skill than I do when it comes to these complex oh, etiquette Kelly, questions. Kelly, you keep lowering expectations. I... I don't buy it. So, yes, I think that's you need to have a dark suit in your wardrobe for those kinds of things. I think it's absolutely appropriate. One thing I'll tell you, though, is 
having you know spent a lot you know a career in the military and in in government around the country and around the world when i moved back home and you know our listeners have heard me talk about this before but you know i live in a very rural part of uh, our country very northern part of new york state and standards up here are different when i first moved back here i went to a couple funerals that first year and uh, i had a dark suit white shirt muted tie and there were very few people in suit and tie so it's much more casual here but i still think it it really sends a message and people notice Uh, i think we'll talk about that more today but when you go to uh, a wedding a funeral a memorial service a wake you you send messages just by your presence and by in this case what you wear so i looked this up and i found a nice list on debordsnyder.com which is a funeral home and they say that black or dark colors continue to be the best option so you cannot go wrong if you're wearing black or dark colors. But they go on to say that wearing mostly subdued conservative clothing that is respectful to the event would be fine also. And the clothes should be clean, neat, and well-pressed. Men, dark suit, they say. Women, also a dark or black suit. Interestingly, they say a top with sleeves. I never thought about that. Like, you shouldn't go to a funeral in a sleeveless dress or anything? Yeah, I Um, I get it. I don't wear topless or not topless. (laughs) Sleeveless, pardon me. Oops, sleeveless. Topless. (laughs) (laughs) Sleeveless outfits, but... This is important to mention that in some cultures, some religions, there may be additional guidelines for clothing, such as head coverings. Mm-hmm. for both men and women. If you have questions, you could probably call the funeral director. Yeah, that's a good idea. According to the International Business Protocol and Social Etiquette, what you should not wear to a funeral includes, Kelly, red, orange, and yellow, bright hues and flowers, and other bold and loud patterns. So my mom was right. Your mom <laughs> is a purist, yes. Isn't and your mom always right, Kelly? <laughs> that's what I tell her. <laughs> <laughs> Now, interestingly, Mike, Mike and I attended a funeral years ago together for one of his classmates, and the family wanted attendees to wear red. Do you remember that? Ca- no. Cav red. Cav I don't. Red. I don't remember that. Yeah, and I saw that email, and I, mm-hmm. I just couldn't bring myself to do that. Mm-hmm. I wore my black wow. suit. Yeah. Well, that's the family's prerogative, and uh, yeah. I've been to... I've been to funerals like that before, too, where I went to a funeral of a young kid who died, and... Uh, his favorite thing was green. That was his color. And so we were requested to wear green. So in that case, that would be comforting mm-hmm. to the family, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's one more point as far as style, according to this protocol and social etiquette. I've actually seen this at a funeral. I couldn't believe this. A man wearing a baseball hat in the church. Yeah. As my mother would say, he had no fetching up. <laughs> no fetching up. <laughs> as my dad would say, bad form. <laughs> yeah, men should avoid wearing jeans, short sleeve shirts, athletic shoes, and baseball caps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you say to this, Mike? This is kind of a tough question. And Kelly, you can weigh in here too. Better to come to the funeral in cutoffs in a baseball hat than to miss the funeral altogether. Ooh. Again, context depends on the setting, depends on the crowd, depends on you know the the family of the of the deceased. I literally have been to funerals and and memorial services up here where the family was so casual that if you showed up in that sort of outfit, they would have been very glad to see you and it wouldn't have been a thing. If you go to a funeral at West Point, 
in one of the chapels and then you have a burial in the West Point Cemetery and you show up in cutoffs and, you know, whatever, sneakers, you're way out of line. So it is context. I think generally it's nice to be there and the family can appreciate it. So because some people just they just don't know any better. I mean, it's just who that, you know, it's just who they are, how they are. So I think you got to accept them. As they come. They're making an effort. Maybe they don't know right. any better. I think the effort should be applauded, for sure. That's a that's a great point. And uh, we have to remember that funerals are really for the living. And so you have to, you, you're respecting the deceased, but you are, you are there to comfort the living. And so everything you do or don't do should, should be guided by that. Good point. I recently went to a celebration of life for my brother-in-law's brother, but our families have been yoked together for 35 years. So, you know, family. And it was at a restaurant in town, kind of casual, but I wore a black dress. I couldn't get away from the somber conservative clothing, but everybody else was very, very casually dressed. And I was way overdressed (laughs) for this celebration of life. So, but did you feel uncomfortable? Did it cause... Or did it cause them to be, uh, were they surprised? How, how, what, what, what's kind of the outcome of that, Marna? I did get a couple comments from people who were there, like, you really dressed up for this. And I said, well, you know me, I wear what I wear to a funeral. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's better to overdress. Oh, you know, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's what I tell my kids. Like, if you're going on an interview or you're traveling with a team and you're asked to wear business casual versus, uh, you know, something else, if you're not sure, you're much better served to overdress. That's never going to be a problem. It just shows respect and care. Yes, that's a good guideline. On to the second topic of funeral etiquette here, which is funeral processions. One time I was sitting in my living room at my house in Rhode Island, and it's a small town in Rhode Island, and I noticed on this quiet street, car after car after car after car after car after car going by my house. It seemed to go on for about 15 minutes, and I thought, what is going on here? And so I stepped outside to look and I realized that it was the funeral procession for the former governor of Rhode Island and they were burying him at this very small cemetery just down the street from me. So that was his funeral procession. It just happened to be really, really, really long. But what I'm finding, especially with young people, is they're not familiar with the protocol of funeral processions on the road. So I thought we would talk about that, just touch on it, because they can be confusing whether you encounter one or participate in one. I've got a couple guidelines here for encountering a funeral procession, and uh, you guys can jump in here. So a funeral procession will be a line of cars on the road. The hearse will be generally first, and all the cars follow. They'll be traveling slow, and their headlights will be on. So if you encounter one of these in your car, the first thing you should do is yield the right-of-way, just as you would defer to an emergency vehicle. You should do the same for a funeral procession. Even, this is interesting, if your light turns green, if the procession is still in the intersection, you must wait until it has passed before proceeding. So pull over and allow the procession to go by. It may not be required by law, but it is the courteous thing to do, and you've encountered a family in mourning, so you want to be kind. Never cut into or tag onto the end of a procession. It's a ceremonial event reserved for those who have lost a loved one, and it's considered extremely rude to interrupt. Be respectful. Never honk your horn or rev your engine or show any other signs of aggression towards a funeral procession. It's really a time to pause. And then watch for the last driver in the procession. This vehicle will be marked 
with two funeral flags and is required to have its flashing hazard lights on to indicate to other drivers where the procession ends. You know, I would just say we see very few of them these days, and I think that's a function of, you know, many people are being cremated and, you know, they're not having the formal movement to the cemetery. Because usually, if I'm not mistaken, that's between the funeral or the memorial service and the cemetery. Is that is that your Correct. understanding? That's my understanding, yeah. yes. And also, coming back to the funeral home from the cemetery will also be okay. a procession yeah, of sorts. Right. But I just, I see far fewer of them. I can remember them as a kid. We, When I grew up uh, early in my childhood, I lived right next to uh, a cemetery in Albany, New York, and I saw them all the time. But the one thing I remember my parents would have us do is if we were walking, we would stop, and if we had a hat on, you took the hat off, and you turned towards the street, and you waited until it passed. Wow. Took your hat off, like you would for the national anthem. Yeah. You know. Very respectful. Ma- made a big impression on me as a kid, a little a little mm-hmm. kid. But I mean. you're right. I don't see many processions these days, and that mm-hmm. may, may be why people, particularly younger right. drivers, don't understand what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Kelly, did you have anything you wanted to add? I agree. I mean, it's about respect, pulling over allowing the group to stay together. I know that in many places you can hire a police officer, an off-duty police officer, to lead um, the procession. I know we did that in Ohio. My husband did that when his dad passed away. And that helps to better identify the procession and let people know kind of what's going on more clearly. And then along the lines of what Mike said, I had never seen... um, people behave that way until I moved to Virginia years ago. And I don't know if this would happen today. I was up in Caroline County, which is a a rural county north of Richmond. And I saw that. I saw a procession go by and people on the street stop and face the procession. And the men took their hats off. And, and, you know, really like a sign of respect. That's very touching. I was really like, wow. Very touching. You know, uh, it was moving. Yeah. The final note on this is that sometimes funeral processions can be quite long, like the one for the former governor going past my house. And they they always go pretty slowly, too. It's a very stately pace. Mm -hmm. So other drivers have to be courteous because there might be a a little bit of an interruption. Mm -hmm. And also, the first car in the procession is required to follow the traffic lights and whatnot. But once he gets the signal to go across the intersection, all the cars in the procession session, follow the lead car. Even if it's a red light, they might be going through the intersection. So just be aware of that as well. It's yeah. the time to chill out, people. Yeah, you know, that's I, hard. <laughs> right. I want to share with you and our listeners, you know, one of the things that made the biggest impression on me during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan is I was stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado, and Fort Carson has um, also has an Air Force base in the city, and that's Peterson Air Force Base. So many of the, the soldiers, airmen, mar- uh, Marines who were from Colorado Springs, their remains were flown into the air base, and then there would be a procession from the airfield off the base. And so we were across town at a different military installation, but we often got the call to go over and stand on the the road the side of the road shoulder to shoulder and you'd literally have miles of soldiers and airmen standing shoulder to shoulder waiting for the 
funeral cortege to come through. And then when it came through, you saluted. It made an impression on me because it was very moving, but it also took an incredibly long time because, you know, if they expected the procession to be coming through at 8 o'clock in the morning, I mean, you were lined up by 7. You know, you stood there for a very long time, but it was very powerful. It is poignant and powerful. Yeah, very poignant, powerful. Because, you you know, I had no idea who these people were. Right. But you just know that, you know, and there would be... Of course, a lot of police and often fire trucks. It was quite a production. At least that's what we did in Colorado Springs. My sister uh, was an Air Force doctor in Iraq, and she wrote that even when funeral flights came in in the middle of the night, all the people who were on duty in the middle of the night would come and stand out and show respect to the cortege. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's not just a, a production in, in the daylight. It's Definitely mm-hmm. a heartfelt mm-hmm. thing at all times mm-hmm. yeah. of the day and night. Kind of a somber note to end on funeral processions, but right. Moving on to the next topic, and this one is a little more nuanced. I used to teach composition to college freshmen, and one day I was at home looking through the paper, and I noticed that one of my students, her sister, had died. Her obituary was in the paper, and so obviously the next day in class, my student wasn't there. But I said to the class, "I'm not violating any privacy." here because it was in the paper, but so-and-so's sister died. I saw her obituary, and I said, so when she comes back, I hope that you guys can help her and talk to her. She's going to need some comfort. And they all said, oh, I hate doing that. I never know what to say. I, I don't, I can't. I just, it's so uncomfortable. And I said, you know, I know. Mike, you're former military. I'm former military. We've had to do this a lot. It's very difficult. But I said, what you have to do is go up to her, tell her you're sorry for her loss. Give her a hug if you feel like it, and mm-hmm. it's good to see you. I'm here for you. If it's uncomfortable, move through the discomfort and do it, because it's very important. So I thought we'd spend a little bit of time on those courtesies that you want to give to the bereaved. I want to acknowledge that I know it's uncomfortable and awkward. So how can we move through those feelings and do what's right? Mike, I'll start with you. Yeah, this is... Uh Unfortunately, I've been to far too many funerals in the last 20 years, many of which were soldiers killed in Afghanistan or Iraq, and both my parents. So I think what it really comes down to is your presence at the right time in the right place, and as we discussed earlier, hopefully reasonably properly dressed, is hugely important to the the family of the deceased. I always kind of go by the thought that, first of all, your presence really matters. You don't need to say much. You can say very little, and you give them the opportunity to talk. It's, it's all about them. It's not about you. So that's one thought. And then the other is, especially when it's someone who's you're close to, you, it's often good to find a way to do something because actions and presence often speak louder than your words. So I remember when my parents passed away, and they both passed away here in town, and it was they lived long, wonderful lives. So it was not as sorrowful as it might be in the case of some other funerals. But people made a point of, like, send flowers, bring a casserole by. Oh, by the way, in a dish that you don't need back. Yeah, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, really. I mean, and, and <laughs> there were just so many wonderful, graceful people who, who may not have said much, and I frankly don't remember what they said, but I do remember what they did. It made a powerful impression on me and my sister and my brother and our, our families. It was just wonderful. So I, I would say be there and do something if, if you are in this situation. Being there is so important. And not being there can really wound the family. 
Oh, yeah. Deep wounds, especially. I've seen that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kelly, you want to jump in? Sure. I, I don't know that I have a lot to add to what Mike said. Being present, being there, I agree, helping in some way, whether it be cooking casseroles, help. We've had friends who, when the kids were young, one of the parents passed away, so... You know, we helped with carpools or driving or after school picking the child up along with my kids and just hanging out with us until the mom or dad were free from work. So those anything like that. I also think continuing to pray. I'm a I'm a prayer believer, so praying for them and their family. I think the most important thing is not to like sort of drop off the end of the earth. I sometimes feel like when something bad happens, especially if it's with a younger person where there's a death, people are so uncomfortable that even if they attend the funeral, you know, they may think of the people, but they don't reach out. So I think it's important to stay in touch and be there. And today it's so easy, even if it's just sending a text once a week. Hi, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. You know, you want to get together or just and the person may say no 10 times, but just stay in touch and reach out. Um, That is so important. It's better to do that. A lot of people say, hey, if you if you need anything, call me. But really, it's better if you call the person. Yeah, they're not going to call you. Can I pick up the kids? I'm going by the grocery store. Do you need anything? How about if I bring dinner over? Be right, or just yeah, or just do it. You know, yeah, yeah, just I, do I just it. think, but staying in touch, that regular text or message or something, because people sometimes are in such a tough place that they can't reach out. But maybe that fifteenth attempt. They're going to chat with you and be ready to accept whatever you're offering. And keep it going, too, I'd say, because grief is a long process. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Now, what about cards? Mike, you say you've lost both parents. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think when both of your parents died, I sent a card. Mm -hmm. I live too far away to attend a funeral, but does a card stand in? Yeah, I think a card can stand in, obviously, if you can't make it, even if you can make it a card is important. And, you know, another thing too, and this is something I discovered as I went through this with both my folks, is their friends are about the same age, um, those that were still alive. They often can't attend, but boy, do they appreciate knowing. And so in the case of both my parents, I mean, their deaths were anticipated. So we had time, and I have to credit my sister especially in this regard, but she organized like notifications to their friends. And and I tell you, that was pretty powerful. And that just unleashed a avalanche of cards from their friends who clearly could not make it to the funeral because of either distance or age. And I know it's probably not etiquette, but I feel like if somebody has, you know, suffered a loss and I send flowers or attend, you know, the wake or the funeral, they do not need to send me a thank you note. For goodness sakes, they've got enough going on. It's probably okay not to. I know Emily Post wouldn't agree, but I just think it's silly. I I just... But like Mike has said in the past, hey, if it matters to you, cultivate the relationship. I really appreciate the flowers you sent. Mm -hmm. Thank you for thinking of us. Yeah. So, Kelly, this might address your concern with thank you notes. Just throw out a thought here. So my father passed away before my mother did. And my mother at that time was she was in her mid-80s, and uh, obviously, I always say, and my mother would, would have told you, that she was in a fog for three months after the death of my father. She has this friend who lives around here whom she'd known for decades, and several, like a week after the funeral, she came over, and, you know, we had kept pretty good records of who'd 
sent things, who donated to, uh, my, my father wanted uh, all contributions to go to the local library. And so we had these lists, and this gal came over, and she wrote the thank you notes, or helped to write the thank you notes for my mom. Wow. And uh, I tell you, what a, again, Very just sweet. the grace with which she handled that. And you could just see the impact of my mom. My mom was not in a position to go through those details, write the hundred thank you notes that needed to be written. That's um, really something, Mike. Yeah. No, and it I'm was, sure it meant the world to your mom, because oh. her generation, that needs to get done. And right, no, right. nobody's going to convince her otherwise. And what a yeah. relief. And, and then it becomes an opportunity for her to you know, have company and socialize a little bit. What a wonderful thing her friend did there. Yeah. Yeah. Probably really felt a bond with her afterwards, too, didn't she? Right. And be aware, we're talking about reaching out and helping in whatever way you can. You're not going to be making it all better. You're just being present with them. I had an incident a number of years ago where my neighbor's mother died, and I was going to go to the funeral. And my neighbor called me and said, I appreciate you wanting to go to the funeral, but what I really need is someone to get the food during the funeral and bring it back to the house and set it up so people can come back to the house. Mm-hmm. She said, would you do that instead of going to the funeral? Wow. And I said, mm-hmm. whatever you need. Helping can mm-hmm. be in other ways than attending the funeral. Yeah. Something jumps to mind here, and that is that, you know, we've all lived through this year of COVID. We've had a wonderful conversation about this and how important it is to people, you know, those that survive the deceased family member. But a lot of that has been taken away from people during this pandemic. For one thing, people have died alone, which is never really, never, ever a good thing. Oh, I know. It's tragic. And then, you know, funerals, and we've seen it up here, funerals either are just family or there isn't one. They try to compensate by doing something online, but it's just not the same. So my heart really goes out to families, whether they've died of COVID or not, but, you know, when there's been a death in the family in the last year and they've not had the chance to go through this all-important ritual that really helps the living grieve and helps the living move along. It's been really, really really tough. There's a couple of people I can think of in, in our kind of larger circle Two are related to my daughter's high school years. Um, one was her volleyball coach for four years in high school. And I am really hoping that when COVID passes, their families, you know, have a celebration of life or something so that we can pay our respects. It troubles me to this day. You know, I, I just feel bad. I feel that these people deserve that. And, and their families, more importantly, deserve it. I think it's very hard to move on without some kind of ritual. We've had family members die and their children didn't want to have any funeral. I feel like that grief is just open, festering thing in my life. Closure is an overused word, but I needed that closure. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think if you don't do that, I mean, there is the chance I've seen this in families that we're close to where something goes wrong in that process, you know, like key people don't show up, you know, whatever. And it creates wounds which are very, very, very slow to heal. Yes, very deep wounds from mm-hmm. that. That's why it's important to show up in all your awkwardness, in all your discomfort. Absolutely. Your folks have to step out. They have to get over it. You know, it's, it's not about you. It's about the family of the deceased. Yeah, I like what you said, Marna. You know, you have to move through your discomfort. I think that's really the key. Right. I mean, I think it's a human tendency to want to make it all better. You're not going to say or do something that's going to make it all better. You're just going to be with the person. I've never experienced a loss of a parent or close family member, but people who have tell me that's what it's all about. 
is that people rally around you and they're with you. I want to loop back to something that you mentioned early in this recording today, Marna, and that's the recent funeral of Prince Philip. There was one image that will always stick with me that I saw that just really disturbed me, very sorrowful, and that was the queen, I guess she's 95 today or yesterday, sitting alone in that first pew without her family around her. I tell you, that's about the most poignant image I have seen. That speaks to everything we've lived in this last year. People dying alone, people having to grieve alone. And there's one of the most influential women in the world. And there she sits alone as her husband of 73 years was buried. Heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. I hope that her family was able to comfort her afterwards. He was almost 100, though. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, Kelly, I would suggest to people not to say that. Like, well, it was his time. or Somebody told me that (laughs) when my grandmother died. No, I it wouldn't. was her time. No, no, I wouldn't say that to her. I, and I'm confident she's not listening to our podcast. Oh, you never know, Kelly. <laughs> if you get to live till 99, that's a wonderful life. That is a um, good long life. And he was like a prince. Yeah. And so I'm not saying it's not sad, but I'm just saying when somebody, you know, lives into their 80s or 90s, wow, never mind hundreds. I, I just think. There's not a lot to be sad about. It, it is a good long life and a great life, but there is still the grief. No, right? no, I agree. I just, you know, like my grand, my oldest grandparent lived to 78, and I thought he was super old. My other grandparents died when they were, you know, in their 20s and 30s. So I just, wow. and I don't think that's uncommon. I'm just saying 99, are you kidding me? That is a wonderful life, and I am super sympathetic to the queen, but that is a pretty good situation. Yeah, you can put me out to pasture at 99. I'll be yeah, happy. I'd, I'd take that as a contract, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good deal. If you're loving life and want to be around, wow. I have an end note. Okay, let's hear it. Just to kind of maybe put a wrap on this, Marna, one thing that, you know, we've talked a lot about what you do at a funeral and the immediate moment of those events, those important rituals that we go through. But following up afterwards is pretty powerful, and I kind of... If someone close to me or, you know, at least acquainted with me suffers a loss and uh, someone in their family dies, I like to try to check in with them like a week or two later. Because if you think about what happens to especially an older person whose spouse dies, there's this rush of activity and they're the center of activity for, for days, perhaps weeks. And then there's this incredible vacuum. And that's a time if you really know somebody well, reaching out to them a week or two after the funeral is is pretty powerful. That's a great end note because, like we said, grief is a long process. You do need to be propped up from time to time. Right, yeah. This was pretty pretty powerful today, given where we are right now. It means a lot. Thank you for doing this one, Marna. Okay, this has been a great conversation today. Let's keep it going. Send us an email or leave a voicemail at our website, ethicsandetiquette.com. Check out our Instagram at ethicsetiquette and our Facebook page, Ethics and Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'd appreciate it if you took time to leave a positive review while you're there. And thank you to all of you who keep recommending Ethics and Etiquette to your friends and family. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Thanks for being with us this week, and please join us again. New episodes are posted on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. See you then.